0: doctor's kitchen recipes health lifestyle
1: we looked at the oral microbiome of patients with um kind of mild moderate and severe covid19 to see whether or not um microbiome dysbiosis or high levels of bad bacteria could potentially predict um the patient's severity of or complications from covid19 and we've already i mean we've got the results back. I can't really talk about them. Okay. But what I can say is that it, it is showing that actually, if you have high levels of bad bacteria in your mouth and you've got potentially gum disease, you're at a much higher risk of um, COVID-19 complications. And another paper came out um, in February last year, and they confirmed that as well, that you're nine times more likely to be in ICU um, from COVID complications if you
0: have gum disease. Wow. where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Dental health is often forgotten or simplified as a solely aesthetic pursuit. But today's guest tells us why dental health matters way more than we think and deconstructs some myths about oral hygiene. Dr. Victoria Sampson is a dentist and scientist who is recently shortlisted as one of the most promising young scientists in Europe for the Forbes Under 30s in Science and Healthcare 2021 Awards. And Dr. Victoria obtained her Bachelor in Dental Surgery from Barts and the London. She's also known for her work in developing salivary diagnostics, microbiome testing, that's oral microbiome testing, and incorporating artificial intelligence into everyday care. She is part Of the future of dentistry. And her enthusiasm and passion for the field are truly contagious and will make you want to dive deeper into some of those studies that we mentioned. She also shares a ton of evidence based information on her Instagram, making scientific findings more accessible and easy to understand. So please go follow her on Instagram. And in today's show, we talk about. The oral microbiome, obviously, how oral health and overall health influence each other in a bi-directional relationship and the potential links between COVID-19 and oral health, fertility and oral health, cardiovascular disease, dementia and oral health, things that I would have not put two and two together. We also talk about measuring the oral microbiome and the biggest dental myths out there that we need to deconstruct, such as should we be using mouthwash? What type of mouthwash? What about SLS, fluoride, the natural toothpaste that I see all across supermarket shelves? Which ones are actually clinically validated? And we also talk about some good oral hygiene habits, including how to floss and when to brush. I think you're going to find this a really practical episode. And Dr. Victoria, we need to have her back on because I'm sure we're going to have loads more questions after this episode. Remember, you can download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free and get access for 14 days in a free trial to all of our recipes where you can filter the recipes according to health goals, brain health, cardiovascular health. And we're also looking at adding new health goals as well. And if you want some health goals, just email me, or send me a tweet. And Android users, we're working really hard on an Android version. Remember, you can also check out the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter. Every single week, I send you something to eat, a delicious recipe, something to listen to, read, watch, and something to put a smile on your face that people absolutely love. We've had wonderful feedback, and I try and get back to everyone's feedback when I can. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And here is my conversation with Dr. Victoria. Victoria, thank you so much for making the time. I know you're just about to go to your lecture. Um, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Good, good. This is the first time we're meeting each other in person. In
1: person, yeah. We've yeah. done a
0: Zoom thing during the COVID pandemic. Um, the, yeah, the pandemic that we're still in the middle of. I know, uh, the way I think about it, I always think, oh, that was like a couple of years ago, but no, we're still going to think of it. We're <laughs> going to talk about uh, COVID-19 a bit as you know, on the podcast, we talk a lot about the gut microbiota, uh, sort of the focus of a lot of people's attention. It's an influence of health. We don't really talk about the oral microbiota or the oral microbiome much. I wonder if you can give us a bit of an introduction to this field and, and what you're working on as well.
1: So, I mean, you're right. The oral microbiome hasn't really had much of the limelight. I feel yeah, like the gut microbiome can took over the limelight and everyone's always talking about the gut and the bacteria. But actually the oral microbiome is the second most diverse microbiome in the body. Um, It's got over 700 different species of bacteria, which make 2 billion bacteria. And what's really interesting about the oral microbiome is that because you're constantly breathing, eating, drinking, smoking, kissing, the microbiome's constantly under attack. And so it's ever kind of evolving and changing. And on top of that, because it's the kind of first portal of entry, Um, it can cause problems elsewhere. So every time you're swallowing or um, inhaling, actually bacteria in your mouth can travel elsewhere and cause problems. Um, So the oral microbiome, it's also very interesting because it's got lots of different niches. Mm -hmm. So unlike some of the other microbiomes, if you think of the teeth, Um, which are kind of these hard, non-shedding surfaces. And then you've got the tongue and then the cheeks. And they're all very different types of surfaces, which means that lots of different bacteria can grow on them. And generally, you know, in health, the oral microbiome is great. It's a nice balance. You've got good bacteria, bad bacteria. It's this beautiful balance. But because it's constantly under attack, it means that that imbalance can happen very quickly. And if it does happen, then you've got the classic kind of oral diseases like gum disease or decay, but also more systemic diseases. So there's a very strong link with um, things like diabetes, Alzheimer's, heart disease, um, obesity, high blood pressure. And so the list continues. And that's something that I don't think the general population um, or even healthcare professionals or even dentists really actually know and talk about.
0: Yeah. I mean, as an analogy, a lot of classically trained, conventionally trained doctors don't really know too much about the gut microbiota, as it's not part of the education. But from what I've learned from you and, and having chats with you and on, on panels and stuff, there are lots of associations that we see with the uh, oral microbiome and health. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the links between chronic disease that we might not classically think of as related to what goes on in our mouths.
1: So with the oral microbiome, there's kind of a few different mechanisms that it can impact systemic diseases or problems so the first is what we call metastatic infection so that's essentially you've got high levels of bacteria in your mouth um, and you swallow it or you inhale it and it travels elsewhere and it can cause infections elsewhere Um, so the kind of biggest link that i can think of is with cardiovascular disease so there's a certain kind of uh, disease or issue called infective endocarditis which is where literally oral bacteria and it's specifically oral bacteria is swallowed and it can infect um, a hearty valve of some sort uh, sorry a faulty heart valve of some sort and if that does happen then I mean you can die from it um, so that's kind of like mechanism number one mechanism two is inflammation so similar to you know if you had this infection on your toe, and you know it was just constantly infected it would impact your immune system and it would constantly activate that immune system to fire inflammatory markers and to try and fight this infection but what's weird is that with gum disease people don't really think of it as an infection they're just kind of like oh yeah my gums bleed a little bit or you know but actually it's really high levels of bad bacteria at a sustained kind of period of time and that causes release of inflammation, inflammatory markers through the body. And so if, for example, you have some other chronic inflammatory disease like rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, by having that gum disease, you're just basically adding petrol to the fire because you're adding more inflammation um, and inflammatory markers. And it will basically, what we're seeing is there's a bi-directional relationship with a lot of those chronic inflammatory diseases. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis and you also have gum disease, then they will both become worse. And if you improve the gum disease, then your rheumatoid arthritis will also improve. And that's what really started my journey was I was seeing a lot of rheumatoid arthritis patients. And what we were finding was that you know, yes, they were having a lot of holistic care. And I was very lucky that I was working with some amazing doctors who were, you know, changing their nutrition and trying to get them off medications. And they were the ones who were like, actually, wait a second, let's see what a dentist thinks. And they would send these patients to me and they all had raging gum disease, terrible. You know, they were losing four or five teeth a year. And, Their dentist, their classic dentist was like, oh, yeah, you've got gum disease. You should come for a clean every three months. And that was it. And then when we started to actually sit there and look at their microbiome, measure what bacteria they had, what inflammatory markers they had, and try and change it and modulate it. Interestingly, we were able to get these patients off medications. And this was a combined effort. But also we were able to completely stop the gum disease. And now these patients are in a much, much better place Um, long term Mm. Um, and that's where we can see that you know the oral microbiome in the Mm. mouth it's it's a piece of the puzzle that a lot of practitioners um, and even you know the public don't really think about and they always think of the mouth as a completely separate entity to the rest of the body
0: Yeah, and you mentioned this bi-directional relationship we have, does it stand to reason that if you look after, let's say, an inflammatory condition like um, uh, inflammatory arthritis better, that would also have a positive impact on your established gum disease? Yes, okay.
1: So there was a lot of research. um, Diabetes is the biggest one. Uh So um, interesting, I was reading an article yesterday and they were talking about how they were asking a bunch of doctors and they said, do you know what the sixth complication of diabetes was? And everyone could name the top five. No one could name the periodontal disease as the sixth one. And so a lot of these patients, these doctors are treating diabetes patients, but they're not actually referring them to a dentist. Mm. And what the research has shown is that if you're able to um, improve the periodontal disease and give the patient the treatment that they need, then their HbA1c levels will reduce, regardless of any other treatment. Um, And also if you have very high levels of, periodontal, you know, pathogens and you've got bad gum disease, then your insulin resistance is even worse as well. So it is really, you know, and if that means that if it's just a small contributory kind of effect, that's amazing. Just to tell someone, go and get a clean, Mm. brush your teeth, Mm. maybe floss. It's so much easier than a lot of the other kind of lifestyle changes that we're trying to implement on a lot of these patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the barrier to entry, it's pretty low. Exactly. And it's cheap.
1: It's much cheaper than a lot of these treatments for chronic diseases. And it's easy.
0: Mm. You mentioned uh, measuring the microbiome. Um, Is that something that most dentists have access to or knowledge about? Is there some commercially available test that people could do maybe once a year or once every six months or do you not recommend that sort of uh way of keeping an eye on how well you're
1: i I do a lot of microbiome testing so um particularly with patients who have some sort of chronic inflammatory disease or any other kind of systemic disease i will be measuring their microbiome so there's a lot of microbiome tests available i use one by in vivo healthcare Um, but I'm also one of their clinical advisors. So I feel like I should probably disclose that. Um, And I've helped them make the test. But (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, It basically looks at the top 20 bacteria associated with gum disease, decay, but also gives you a kind of little insight into other diseases. So Alzheimer's, oral cancer, um, diabetes. So I would never be able to diagnose the patient and say, hey, you've got diabetes because of your oral microbiome. But I would be able to say, you've got really high levels of this bacteria. You should probably go and see your doctor about this. Um, So I definitely, I do testing a lot on patients. Um, I'm a bit wary of the at-home ones or, you know, patients taking it in their own hands to do because, often they don't know what they're looking for. And also what's very important to understand is that the microbiome test and the results come out, it's kind of like a a generalized um, like results, you know, just like with a blood test, right? It gives you a range and if you're above that range, it says high and whatever, but with the oral microbiome, it's very particular to that patient. And so actually you might have high levels of one bad bacteria in your mouth, and in you, that's healthy and it's fine. But in me, it's not healthy. And so I do get patients who go and do their own homework. They get microbiome tests and oh my God, oh my God, I have high levels of like Prevotella or something. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have any gum disease. You have no decay and you're very fit and well. And if you don't have other bacteria which kind of fit the puzzle, then actually leave it, it's fine. You don't, we don't wanna kind of ruin the, other, the, the balance otherwise.
0: Yeah, I, that's a really good point I think because uh, everything appears to be in the ecosystem of both the gut microbiome and your oral microbiome in flux and actually what is generally seen as good or bad can actually have the complete reverse uh, association. Are there, given that I've just said that, are there any particular microbes that point towards a more positive outcome uh, universally across the board or is it in the same way like the gut microbiota you might look at acomancia you might look at certain types of lactobacilli are there some like standout uh, microbes that we we look for or is it is it just really context
1: mm, there are a few so like for example i'll put some of my patients on probiotics and so those are kind of i guess the good bacteria that we like to add into the microbiome so there is lactobacillus kci um there's quite a few Lactobacillus's. um Or lactobacilli, I think. Um, But generally, I more look at getting rid of the bad bacteria um, and then putting them on probiotics. So unfortunately, as well, the research is not... I think that because the gut microbiome is a much kind of wider research microbiome, um, the oral microbiome, we know a lot about the bad stuff, but we don't necessarily know what's good um, and what bacteria is beneficial to the microbiome.
0: Yeah. You mentioned a couple of uh, disease associations there that I think once you understand the mechanism behind, you can sort of piece it together. So things like Alzheimer's, a lot of people uh, recognize inflammation as a a hugely important role, cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease. But I, I looked at one of your recent Instagram posts and you mentioned things like fertility sport performance, mental well-being. I wonder if we could dive into those and the associations between the health of your mouth.
1: Um, fertility is my favorite one. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably saw my like eyes light up when you said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, fertility is really interesting because it's, it's similar. It's all kind of the same mechanism. It's all to do with inflammation and just that low-grade chronic inflammation. Um, with fertility, I mean, if we start with the woman, um, what we've found and the research has shown is that uh, women who have gum disease, um, they are they conceive much later than women who do not have gum disease. So three months later, actually, um, and also if they have gum disease whilst they're pregnant, there's actually high risk of um, kind of uh, low birth or preterm births and low birth weight as well. And that's um, the, what they found was that there are certain oral bacteria in the amniotic fluid in the placenta of these. Um, babies who were being born. And these were specific oral bacteria again. Um, So I think that's just fascinating. And again, it's like, just like brush your teeth, go to the dentist. Like it's really, if someone's sitting there struggling to, to, you know, conceive something so small and simple like that could be a huge impact. Um, And then for the men, it's even more interesting. So um, there was a study by a man called Bienek, and he basically split two um, groups of subfertile men. And um, what he found was that in all of these subfertile men, I think it was 97% of them um, all had some sort of oral disease of some sort. So be it gum disease, decay, um, an infected root canal, whatever it is. Um, and then half the group, he he went and did you know whatever dental treatments were required to get rid of that oral disease. And the other half, he left as is. And then when he reviewed them in the group that had all the dental treatment, um, within eight months, uh, 70% of those men had conceived with their partners. Um, And with the people who did not have any treatment, none of them conceived and they were the same. So it's, I mean, that's like crazy to me. It's huge. Um, And then, so they did the same thing with the group that didn't have dental treatment and they gave them the treatment and the same thing happened. Um, And then on top of that, there's also erectile dysfunction. So um, men who have gum disease are 2.8 times more likely to get, um, sorry, if they have gum disease, they're 2.8 times more likely to have erectile dysfunction as well. And again, it's all to do with inflammation, with blood flow and, it's yeah, it's nuts.
0: Yeah, you can see like you can see how there's uh, multiple links in between uh, all those different pathologies. When you when you look at the root, uh, which could be inflammation, uh, driving cardiovascular disease, driving atherosclerosis, you can understand why there is a, an association with erectile dysfunction. You've also talked, and this is where we connected uh, during COVID-19, uh, that there are links there between poor oral health and the. Is it the the likelihood of contracting it, or the severity of COVID, or maybe severity. Even both? Oh, severity, severity, wow. yeah,
1: um, yeah. That was that's what really started my whole, um, I guess, delve into the oral microbiome. Before that, I was a plain old dentist. I kind of, <laughs> I, I didn't love dentistry much. Like we it was love okay, it, plain old dentist. No, 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 no <laughs> we all love dentists. But I kind yeah. of, you know, like I liked yeah. my job ish, but I didn't really feel like I was making much of an impact on my patients. Yeah. And also I wasn't able to monitor and track their treatments and and I didn't have any quantitative data. So things like microbiome testing and inflammatory marker testing, now I can see numbers dropping and... It's, it's quite fulfilling to yeah. see that. Um, but yeah, I wasn't working for a couple of months during the beginning of COVID. And I'm someone who is very kind of high intensity. Like I love to do things. So I was going crazy and <laughs> I was on a run and I was like, oh, okay. Just thinking about COVID and gum disease for some bizarre reason. And I was like, wait a second, all of the risk factors for gum disease are exactly the same risk factors for COVID. Um, So for example, men, old age, um, and then certain systemic diseases like people who had diabetes, heart disease, and I was like, okay, this is a bit strange. I delved into a little bit more and I realized that the mechanisms were quite similar as well. So with periodontal disease, it's low-grade chronic inflammation, and it's this release of inflammatory markers and the exact inflammatory markers. So they're interleukin 2, 6, 8, and 10, and they're exactly the same inflammatory markers that are heightened in a COVID-19 infection. And then what we realized was that actually with the COVID-19 patients, um, with the cytokine storm, Mm -hmm. it's the idea that you've got like a crazy release of inflammatory markers. And if you already have that low-grade chronic inflammation, you're just making matters much worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started just becoming obsessed with research and i was just sitting there every day it was quite weird you know there was that time where like every morning you would wake up and like the Lancet would come out with new research and go like, oh my god my god. maybe it was just me i don't know but <laughs> no it resonates
0: with me as well you know totally, and everyone's like yeah. sending
1: each yeah. other papers and yeah. like wow and it was all open access and it was really exciting and um so then a lot of research was showing that certain oral bacteria were found in the lung biopsies of covid19 um suffers. And so um, I decided to approach um, UCL Eastman and we um, did, we started a research um, trial. And so we looked at the oral microbiome of patients with um, kind of mild, moderate and severe COVID-19 to see whether or not um, microbiome dysbiosis or high levels of bad bacteria could potentially predict um, the patient's severity or complications from COVID-19. And we've already, I mean, we've got the results back I can't really talk about them but what I can say is that it it is showing that actually if you have high levels of bad bacteria in your mouth and you've got potentially gum disease you're at a much higher risk of um, COVID-19 complications and another paper came out um, in February last year and they confirmed that as well that you're nine times more likely to be in ICU um, from COVID complications if you have
0: gum disease. Going back to some of the mechanisms you were talking about, it appears to be all interlinked as well. So it's not necessarily that the oral microbiota might be causing these issues, but it's certainly because of that bidirectional relationship that you you outlined earlier. I want to talk, before we talk about tips and things that you should do, that I'm sure you're going to tell me that I should. I do floss. I do use TP. I brush twice a day. I do lots of things that are, that are great. Um, we, for a lack of appreciation of the oral microbiome, uh, have been indiscriminately using products that are quite harsh. Um, we don't have to name any names, but there are certain mouthwashes, certain toothpaste that are, are, are pretty strong when it comes to their antibacterial activity. What do you on antimicrobial activity I should say what kind of things do you think we've changed our mind on over the last couple of decades that we should really be embracing when it comes to products that we allow to to use on our mouths?
1: So mouthwash is the most important one I'd say um, there was a time where um, mouthwashes which was like the coolest thing and everyone was being told to use a mouthwash um, and now we're realizing that it's in my opinion the way I explain it to patients is that it's kind of like Putting perfume on—it's not really doing much. Um, And actually, no, it's it's worse than perfume because uh, you've got an anti-kind of microbial effect. um, But also, a lot of these mouthwashes contain alcohol, Mm. and the oral microbiome. I mean, if if you just think about it, I mean, the the tongue and the cheeks—they're—they're very. It's a very Soft tissue and so it can absorb things very easily. So, um, alcoholic mouthwash is very, very aggressive. It can strip the kind of outer surface of the mucosa in the mouth. Um, It can cause a lot of problems. So, definitely steer clear of alcohol containing mouthwashes. And generally, I don't really think any patient needs to have a mouthwash unless their dentist has prescribed it. So, there are certain times where I will tell a patient, okay, you've got gum disease, I'm going to put you on this mouthwash for three weeks. Um, or, you know, if they have other medical issues and they can't brush their teeth, then maybe we put them on a mouthwash. But it's not something that the average person should go and be using. Um, another thing is, if you are going to use mouthwash, it should be at a different time to when you're brushing your teeth, ah. because the mouthwash and the toothpaste will actually kind of cancel out their their effects. Mm. Um, apart from that, i what other kind of myths can I bust <laughs> about dentistry? Yeah. I think that's the worst. Oh, SLS. Um, so, similar to a lot of kind of soaps, um, a toothpaste has SLS, which yes. is sodium lauryl sulfate. It's the foaming agent. Um, it makes your toothpaste nice and frothy, but it's extremely unnecessary. And it can actually be, um, some people have allergies to it. So, I, for example, have a really bad allergy to SLS. Um, but even if you don't have an allergy, it it can impact the, the, the outer layer of the cells in your mouth uh-huh. um, and basically destroy them. And it's unnecessary just for a little bit of a foamy toothpaste. Mm-hmm. It's just so I'm SLS free and I try and get my patients to be off that as well.
0: Wow. So there's two things that I remember from our conversation. Uh, one, I don't rinse after brushing my teeth because you told me it makes total sense. Why mm-hmm. would you wash it off? I use a toothpaste that doesn't have SLS in now and it's actually a lot uh, less irritant. Um, A lot of toothpastes have SLS. They do, yeah. Yeah, This is pretty much,
1: I would say like 90% of the toothpaste on the market do. Mm -hmm. And then because I work with a lot of dental companies, they're always sending me toothpaste and I have to try them. I tried one last night and I know it's going to like harm my mouth and I know like it hurts, like, because I'm allergic. So I get like really red tongue, I get ulcers and stuff and I was trying, I was like, why? Why are we still doing this? Um, But there are, I mean, I I can name a few. So Zendium, um, Biomin, Sensodyne has a few as well, which are SLS free. And it is the general trend. Um, Colgate has just come out with one as well. So there are some um, and they usually advertise that they're SLS free as well. Mm
0: Mm, okay. And uh, any other products like chewing gums or uh, certain sort of drinks that we should really be steering clear? I mean, obviously, like sugar sweetened beverages. Obviously, I know you're going to tell me that. But uh, any other uh, things that you think are pretty ubiquitous in terms of what people consume on a daily basis that we should be careful of?
1: Um, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, like the classic, like fizzy drinks. Um, you know, even alcohol, like sugar containing alcohols. Um, but no, there isn't kind of. One food or drink, which I feel like people, I, I, it's kind of the classics. I'd say okay. chewing gum. If you're gonna have chewing gum, make sure it's sugar free. Um, and there are some really good chewing gums out there which have uh, like a probiotic element to them. So that's what I, I use: probiotic chewing gum. Oh, really? Um, and they've got some pastels as well. So they like I they use this one. It's called uh, Love Biotics, and they've got these really nice pastels and just like it's like a mint basically and it just i pop one in and actually i, I eat one after i know i've had a bit of a bad meal so like i've had a really big sugar attack mm. just have a little probiotic pastel i don't know i think subconsciously i think it's helping. okay yeah
0: i was gonna ask are, are, is there uh, any evidence base around introducing oral probiotics through pastels or chewing gums and that kind of stuff does has that been shown to have a beneficial effect
1: yeah so it has so i mean depending on which probiotics you're talking about mm. some are more for the decay so anti kind of cariogenic so um to reduce your risk of cavities and decay others are for gum disease um but it's it's a really um emerging market and again a lot of the dental companies are jumping on that because they're realizing how important it is to to enrich your toothpaste or your you know your chewing gum or your pastels with some good bacteria as well
0: yeah yeah Talking of enriching, so fluoride. What are your thoughts on fluoride? Fluoride is a very <laughs> controversial subject. I'm going <laughs> to get asked about it, so I'm going to deflect this to you. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on fluoride?
1: Ah, uh, well, um, it's weird because I'm I'm known to be a functional holistic dentist, and so with that comes this assumption that I don't like fluoride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of patients who are fluoride free, and it uh, initially I was kind of I would do this whole spiel where I say fluoride's good for you, it helps remineralize the teeth, and blah 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 blah. But what I've realized is that patients who are fluoride free are fluoride free for a reason, and they're very um, kind of stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell them now is, you know, you do you, you know, I'm, I I can give you my professional opinion, which is that fluoride is good for your teeth. And I can immediately see when a patient is using a fluoride-free toothpaste from the kind of structure of their enamel and how essentially stronger, weak their teeth are. But if you're not going to use fluoride, then you need to make sure that you're using a toothpaste which has got other um, kind of remineralizing agents. So calcium, phosphate, hydroxyapatite, um, what annoys me is that there's a lot of these fluoride-free toothpaste, which are just filled with like essential oils yeah. and like chalk. Yeah. And and that's what annoys me because that's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go for the fluoride-free option, my favorite toothpaste is Biomin C. So Biomin has a fluoride version, which is Biomin F. And then they also have one which is fluoride-free, which is Biomin C. And that's got um, really great technology. It's got calcium and phosphate and, and that's the one that I will recommend for patients who are fluoride free. But if you're still, if you're using fluoride, please continue. It is a good, yeah. good thing to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you share any concerns about the impact, the antimicrobial impact of fluoride on the gut or the irritant effect on the gut at all? Or are there other...
1: I'll be honest with you. I don't know enough uh-huh. about the impact of fluoride on the gut. Uh-huh. Um, I, I leave the guts to the, to the uh-huh. doctors. Um, <laughs> there but guts. it's actually a very interesting um, question. But I would my kind of two cents is that if you're not meant to be ingesting the fluoride, so it shouldn't really be impacting the gut from my understanding. It should just be staying in the mouth. Um, And then for those people who I think are on the fence of like, I'm not sure about fluoride, fluoride free, or should I use a low level fluoride toothpaste? Um, again, sorry, I'm really plugging Biomin, but I have no association (laughs) with them. Like I just like their toothpaste. Biomin F has um, low levels of fluoride. So the average toothpaste has around 2000 parts per millimeter of fluoride. Um, and theirs has about 500 parts per millimetre. Okay. However, it's still got the same effect and impact um, as the high fluoride toothpastes have, okay. um, because of the technology that they've used. It's kind of like a slow release, and it and it impregnates the enamel. So, if you're on the fence, I would go for that toothpaste.
0: Epic. Uh, I share the same concerns with you as well about fluoride toothpaste, because when I look at the ingredients pack, you're right. It's a lot of essential oils. It doesn't have any of those things in. Uh, you already answered the question about hydroxyapatite, which I'm seeing as a common replacement for fluoride because of its remineralizing effect. Xylitol and erythritol. I'm uh, seeing a lot of chewing gums being advertised as something that has a positive effect on the microbes. Is that something that you you share? Uh- yeah.
1: So I um I I mean. To an extent, I think like some people go overboard with the xylitol toothpaste, uh, the The pastels and the whatever. Um, But I'm actually, I'm doing a a trial at the moment and we're looking at the effect of erythritol in particular on the oral microbiome because as a, chemical or as a molecule erythritol is antibio- um, antimicrobial anti-adherence um, it's got some really great properties and so actually um, there's some s- specific dental treatments which are starting to incorporate erythritol into them um, to allow for you know balancing of the oral microbiome and and to help so I, I love erythritol and xylitol and I would, I would definitely say yes to them.
0: Okay great that's fab quick fire questions should we floss? course okay <laughs> how, how is that a question how should we floss that should be the question how should we floss
1: um it's difficult to explain <laughs> in words <laughs> um but what a lot of people do um is they they get the floss and they just go up down up down up down yeah. which is actually not what you're meant to do you're meant to kind of shimmy it up and then make a c shape um with the the, the floss and you slide it up so you'll be sh- you'll be shocked to see how far the floss can go up your gum without hurting you. And then once you've gone to as far as it can go, you go down again and then you slide it the other way. So it's kind of like a reverse C shape. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that you're trying to like respect the gums, is what I tell my patients. If your gum, if you think, if you look in the mirror, you've got like a triangle of gum in between the teeth and you want to basically slide the floss on each side of that triangle of gum. You don't want to go straight at the mm. tip of the gum.
0: Okay. Tongue scrapers, are they useful?
1: I think it's dependent on the patient. Um, so, everyone's got a different tongue. Um, some patients, you know, there's some strange ones out there. There's something called black hairy tongue. There's, you know, some blue tongues. There's lots of different tongues out there. Um, generally, um, I do like tongue scraping, um, but you need to use a, sp- a specific tongue scraper. Don't go and use your toothbrush and brush really hard because sometimes you actually. Um, will irritate the taste buds and they will overgrow and they will cause more problems. So if you have like a hairy tongue, Mm. you need to be quite gentle and use a a nice tongue scraper, I like the metal ones, which are kind of antibacterial, and just do it, you know, maybe a couple of times a week. You don't need to do it every day.
0: Okay. Electric toothbrushes and the uh, firmness of the bristles. What are your thoughts? Uh,
1: Definitely electric toothbrush is a must. Um, I think that's one great development for dentistry. Um, it does most of the work for you um, and it times you as well. And it should be a toothbrush that has a pressure sensor. So it should blink green when you're brushing at the right pressure and red when you're brushing too hard. So that kind of answers in turn your question about how hard the bristles should be. Um, it's more, in my opinion, how hard you're brushing. Um, so I don't like very soft bristle toothbrushes because sometimes I just feel like they're like sweeping the food back and forth like they're not actually removing anything um so you want a medium to even a hard bristled brush um but it's more about looking in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth and making sure you're not brushing too hard
0: okay fine um when should we brush our teeth that's a common question uh, a common issue is it after breakfast is it in between every single meal uh you already talked about separating rinsing with mouthwash if you choose to use mouthwash outside of the brushing time what, what are your thoughts on that
1: Um, So I say it should be the first thing you do when you wake up and the last thing you do before you go to bed. Um, whether, I mean, some people are like, Oh, but I like to go to work with a fresh mouth. Um, then go for it. You know, do you, do you. But what I would say is that if you're someone in the morning who has like a citrusy, um, breakfast of some sort, if you're having orange juice or, um, you know, high acid, then you don't want to go straight away and brush your teeth straight after because you're going to be essentially brushing that acid into your teeth. Um, so that's why I usually prefer that patients brush their teeth first thing in the morning and then they eat their breakfast and they go to work. Um, but it 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 depends on on who you are, and if you are gonna have a high acid diet, or you know you have a lot of sugar or anything in the morning, wait 30 minutes um, between eating and brushing your teeth to allow for the mouth to stabilize again.
0: Okay, great. Um, last question. This one for me. So I've got receding gums pretty badly to the point where uh, I'm considering grafts. Uh, so I'm I'm seeing a I see my hygienist. I do everything that you're saying, but. Um, it's still an issue, uh, unfortunately. Are there any practices that I should be steering clear of given uh, the recession of gums in terms of things I drink? I drink black coffee every day uh, and things that I should be thinking about in terms of my diet as well to support uh, recession receding gums, or is it literally like, there's nothing you can do? There
1: are some, so receding gums, it, it depends on the cause of the receding gums. If it's because you're brushing too hard, which is often mm-hmm. um, why, then it's just, you know, changing your toothbrush. Again, you're looking at the pressure sensor. There are some certain things that I do recommend for patients who have um, receding gums or even just early gum disease. So certain supplements, so CoQ10 um, or coenzyme Q10 is great for collagen production. And also it's got very antioxidant effects. And so your gums are essentially made out of collagen. So what you want to do is kind of strengthen those gums a little bit. You're never, if you have recession, you'll never be able to regrow the gums, unfortunately. But what you can do is try and strengthen what gum you have left. And I mean, it sounds like in your case, maybe it's a bit beyond repair. If if you're getting if you need surgery, then then that's something. But if you've just, if you're looking in the mirror and you're like, ooh, I've seen a bit of recession, then you start thinking about maybe I should strengthen the collagen, you know. So CoQ10, collagen supplementation as well, I I like. Um, Classic vitamins as well, vitamin A, C, D, K2. Um, And then diet-wise, again, just, you know, rich in in anything rich in collagen as well um but yeah unfortunately there's no easy fix for a recession yeah i know
0: it's one of those hard bits and i've been told many times look we're we're gonna let you go but i think we have to do a part two because i definitely want to speak to you a bit more about supplements particularly vitamin k2 that a lot of people don't really know about um, and uh, collagen supplementation as well. We talked about it in the podcast in the context of skin, mm-hmm. but I think in the context of gum health and, and dental health, I think it's really important. So I appreciate your time, Victoria. You are a superstar. Thank you so much for bringing the the energy and uh, this, this information. <laughs> I'm trying to, to bring the oral great.
1: microbiome back <laughs> into the limelight. That is my my Absolutely. job in life.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome. You know, you are. You've definitely taught me a lot, so that's great. <laughs> Thanks appreciate for having that. me. No, I'm My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Victoria Sampson. You can find her socials and all the links to the studies that we discussed in today's episode on the show notes at thedoctorskitchen.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter, Eat, Listen, Read, where I send you something to eat, something to listen to, something to read every single week that will help you live a healthier, happier life. Until next time, I'll see you there.